Six minutes after six, it is a Wednesday. It is hump day, over the hill day, middle of the weekday, closer to Friday than we were on Monday, even though we were off on Monday, but we're closer to Friday now, and I'm closer to my vacation because I leave right after I get off the air on Friday to head down to Florida where I'm going to stay for about nine days and then make my way back here. But, uh, yeah, looking for uh, forward to that. Today, of course, uh, the 9th uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and I wanted to r- remind you that back in 1956, yeah, you're right, 1956, that's a long time ago. Can I say that that's a long time ago? That's 64 years ago. It doesn't seem that far for many of us that were alive at that time. I was the same age as my grandson is right now. I was three and a half years old. And uh, that night, as normal, with my mom and dad, I was sitting in front of the TV, and I was watching one of the number one shows on television, on our television, which had the little round screen, uh, the Ed Sullivan Show. And uh, it was the first time he had already appeared on several different shows. Uh, the Milton Berle Show, for instance, the Dorsey Brothers Show, the Steve Allen Show. He had been on all of those shows, but Ed Sullivan hadn't had this performer on before. And um, people were going crazy because he was going to be on uh, the, the, the his show tonight. 64 years ago, they were concerned about his hip gyrations and if people would find that just too over the top. Think about that now, right now. Talking 64 years ago, would that be too over the top? Would that uh, would that be uh, too scary? Because he was going to actually, for the first time on TV, be shown head to toe even though they were concerned about his vulgar hip-shaking gyrations, and he he's opened with this song right here. You know I can't be found I sit home all alone If you can't come around At least please tell the phone Don't be cruel To who hard is true Baby, if I made a man For something I might have said Please don't forget my past The future looks bright ahead Don't be cruel To who heart is true I don't want no other love Baby, it's just you I'm picking up don't stop thinking of me Don't make me feel this way Come on over here All right, 64 years ago, folks Elvis Presley made his uh, debut in everybody's living room Because uh, 
you know, most people did watch Ed Sullivan. Huge, huge uh, viewership for Elvis Presley. He was... He wasn't there in New York at the Ed Sullivan Theater. He was out in California. He was on site because he was uh, recording his movie, Love Me Tender. And that, and he did several songs during the show. He did Don't Be Cruel. That's the first song. That's the song he opened up with. Then he did uh, some other songs. He did Little Red, uh, Richard's Ready Teddy. And then he did Hound Dog. But then he finished up. Uh, the show he did four songs in that one song that one show that says how big he was he um, he did love me tender uh, which was going to be the title track from the movie and was reported by variety quote for the first time in the history of the record business a record single has achieved one million in sales before it's been released to the public Holy cow. Unbelievable. First time I was ever heard on Ed Sullivan. And uh, it sold a million copies. He was, uh, if you remember, he was in black and white. No color TV back in the day. Uh, He was in a plaid jacket. And this is what he said to the audience before he, he performed. It's probably the greatest honor I have ever had in my life. Saying about performing on the Ed Sullivan show. He said, thank you, ladies, to the screaming fans. And then at the end, introduced Love Me Tender as something uh, completely different from anything that I've ever done before. So that takes you back a few years, 1956, in the world of television and uh, what was going on at that time. All right, so let's get into the, the show today. A lot of things to talk about. First of all, uh, latest uh, Harris poll showing that the uh, president has a great uh, uh, numbers again as far as what's going on for him in uh, how people are feeling about him, all right, his favorability. Uh, numbers. I'm bringing them up right now in front of me. All right, so here's what they say. This is uh, Hill reporting this. Uh, President Trump's approval rating rose to its highest level since June. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the latest Hill-Harris poll, 47% of registered voters in the September 5th through 8th survey approve of the job Trump is doing as uh, uh, as president, the survey found a three percentage point increase from the last poll. Uh, the last time Trump's approval reached 47 percent was in a June 8th through 10th survey. So uh, this is pretty good for the president, to say the least. Everybody uh, is uh, excited about that. That is a Trump supporter. Uh as you've been watching Biden, he's been changing what he's been doing on the uh, campaign trail because a lot of stories out yesterday about some polling that's out there that uh, does not figure in well to the Biden campaign. It shows uh, Biden losing significantly with Hispanics. Huge. You know, here's the problem. A lot of people think 
that the big issue that Hispanics consider the number one issue is illegal immigration. That is not true. Not true at all. In fact, uh, illegal immigration is uh, at the bottom top five. Uh, The number one issue for the Hispanic voter right now is jobs. What a surprise. That seems... I think if you sit down and you talk to most people, you know, pocketbook issues are always uh, the number one issue. I don't know why uh, the Democrats can't remember that. Uh, Since since Clinton, they've totally forgot it. I mean, what did uh, what did Clinton say during the time, uh, you know, he was running? You know, it's always was the economy. It's jobs, jobs, jobs. He, he was right about that. People want to have a good job that pays a, de- a decent wage, and they, uh, they want that job now. Now, up until the coronavirus hit and, uh, you know, our government decided they're going to shut down the economy, uh, this economy was singing along at the best numbers it had ever seen in its history. More people were at work than had ever been at work. Unemployment was the lowest it had ever been. And now it's starting to happen again. The last uh, three months, 10 million jobs have been made. People are starting to go back to work. Are we where we were before COVID-19? No. Are we moving that way? Yes, like a meteorite. I mean, you know, they always talk about the V recovery. That's exactly what we're seeing. When they shut down the economy, it went straight down. Zoom. All right. Now that it, they're starting it back up, it's starting to go back up again. And it's uh, going up the way that it came down uh, on all, um, all engines. Up until yesterday, uh, the uh, uh, stock market has been uh, really, really climbing and then yesterday we had a couple of things that in, added to, as a weight, a wet blanket. You got Fauci out there. Hadn't heard from him in several weeks. What's he do? He steps forward just to make the statement, I don't think we'll have a vaccine uh, before the election. He doesn't know. All right. He doesn't know. President says we're going to have one before then. Everybody's getting all uptight about it because they say, are they, well, are they being sure that it's safe? Let me tell you, if there's one thing that you can be sure about the FDA is that they're going to be adamant about it being safe. I saw where AstraZeneca slowed down their uh, final trial three a little bit yesterday because they had one person out of the 3,000 they're working at had an adverse affection, so they're taking, slowing down to take a look at that person and seeing where or what was causing the problem. But they'll be back with more. Uh, we'll hear from Biden here in just a moment. I got several uh, clips I want, audio clips that I want to play for you. We'll get back to them in just a moment. First, let's get our first break in. 17 minutes after 6. Don't Be Cruel, first song Elvis Presley did on his first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show this day in history, 1956. A break and more coming back up 
on 1011 FM, The Answer. You know I can't be found Sitting home all alone If you can't come around At least please tell the phone Don't be cruel To who hard is true Baby, if I made you mad For something I might have said Please don't forget my past The future looks bright ahead Don't be cruel Hey, it's 22 minutes after 6. The Biden campaign is being forced, excuse me, my nose is running a little bit today, is being forced out of the basement, literally. I mean, uh, I saw yesterday, and this is a pretty good uh, indication of how much strength Biden has versus how much strength does Trump have. Uh, Trump is going to be out on the campaign trail every day this week. And he's not just holding one event on days. He's holding two and three. Yesterday, he went down to um, North, excuse me, North Carolina and gave a speech. The Biden-Harris campaign was off the road. Now, that's, to be honest, that's kind of unheard of in this age of campaigning, uh, especially when you're trying to take down an incumbent. The, uh, the polls are tightening very, very tight, and uh, that was to be expected. I've been telling you for a long time the polls were wrong when they were showing Biden up by 9 and 12 points. That just was never the case. And sewing him up in Texas has never been the case. Of course, I'm privy to some things that a lot of people aren't. I see, uh, talk to people who can tell me internal polling and what's going on uh, as far as the president's race. And let me just say that the president is in a good spot right now. Uh, I believe that he's going to win re-election. I have not backed off of that that idea. But when you got Biden out there, and I don't know if you saw this uh, a video clip. I don't have it to play for you. It plays more, if you can see the video, where he's up giving one of his speeches on the campaign trail. And he, he says, yeah, move it up there. He's reading off of a teleprompter. And it's supposed to be a spontaneous uh uh, presser. It's not. Uh, in fact, a piece of video came out about this presser, and it, it had a news person complaining, saying, I was given this list of what we could ask. So what you had is you have a staged presser with Biden up in front of the press, knowing the questions the press is going to ask, and having the answers written for him, and they're out there uh, on his uh, teleprompter. In fact, there's a part in it, as you watch it, it says, he says, end of quote, as he's reading the answer off the teleprompter. It's not good. Uh, It's showing that Biden, when he's got to think on his own, can't think on his own. He starts rambling. He's, he, he, he talks gobbledygook many times. It, 
He says things that make no sense whatsoever, and his campaign's trying to trying to protect him from that. He's, they're not going to be able. I mean, there's there's two debates he's going to do with Trump. He can't have a teleprompter for those. I, mean, I, I understand they're going to try real hard to prepare him for answers. I mean, they did well with his acceptance speech. I mean, he didn't speak off the cuff for that at all, as he always has done in the past. What he did was he memorized the speech. He had a teleprompter and he read the speech. That's, and he practiced it before he gave it. That's what he did. So let's listen to a few things that, that Biden has said over the last few days that is going to come back and bite him in the tush. I'm just telling you right now. Uh, he's going to get bit in the butt about a lot of this. So I'm going to play cut number 37. This is Biden talking about Trump is the candidate, not him. Trump is the candidate that wants to defund the police. Cut if number you watch 37. the ads, I'm sure you've seen them, although uh, a lot of Pennsylvanians are seeing them because there's a lot of ads out there right now. Uh, they would say that you want to uh, defund the police, and uh, it seems to be uh, uh, trying to frighten some folks. Uh, can, you, can you set the record straight on that? I not only don't want to defund the police, I'm the one calling for $300 billion, million more for local police, for community policing. I also think we should add uh, social workers and psychologists help police on 911 calls. The only person calling to defund the police is is Donald Trump. Look at his budget. He calls for cutting police funding for local, state and local help by $400 million. Once again, he's pathological. No. Not true. Uh, it's a, That's a lie. And uh, the, the money that he's talking about is money that's being spent on the border to help uh, protect the border. All right, now moving on with with Biden. This one is something I did not know. I, I've never heard, all right? So we'll play this, and then we're going to take a break. Uh, Biden says that if you go to work at a fast food restaurant, now you've got to sign a contract that says you will non-compete. Now, what's that mean? Well, in my case, at the radio station I work at, I have a non-compete. Uh, it won't it won't stand muster in in Arkansas because it's a right to work state. But they have me sign it anyway, which says that if I leave Salem, I can't go work for another radio station. He says if you go work fast food, yeah, you you, you work at one, you can't go work at another. Here here's uh, the vice president again. You know, all of a sudden they found out you had you had thousands of employees making an hourly wage having to sign non-compete agreements. So if you worked at Burger King, you have to sign a non-compete agreement. You would not go across town to McDonald's to try to get five more cents in your hourly wage. All designed to do nothing, just to keep wages down. You could not go. It's not like you had a secret uh, that was uh, consequential and you couldn't give away that secret because it's a high-tech industry to another industry you go to work for. These are people making an hourly wage, just doing just, just their job. And they were told they couldn't even bargain for themselves, let alone have a union do it. All right. 
That's a lie as well. I I've worked fast food before. I know other people have worked fast food before. I know a lot of you who are listening have worked fast food before, and you've never signed a, a non-compete. Uh, you know, typically you give your typical two weeks notice. You go work for whomever and wherever uh, you want. I'll try to explain why Trump or Biden says the economy is shutting down because Trump's trying to open up the economy. We'll get to that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, 35 after or 25 till, depending on how you read a clock. And uh, we're going uh, towards the 7 o'clock hour. We're uh, talking about former Vice President Biden. And he's been flip-flopping out there bigger than John Kerry. When John Kerry ran against George Bush uh, the second time around uh, on Bush re-election, he would flip-flop on issues left and right, and people started showing up at campaign events uh, and holding up uh, flip-flops in in front of him, and they they started calling him Flip-Flop Kerry. Well, Biden has begun doing the same thing now. He's finding that he has found himself on the wrong side of issues. Uh, you know, defunding the police is one. Fracking is another. And uh, we can go on and on. Uh, and then he starts saying things that are just false. I mean, really, that, you know, Trump wants to defund the police. Now, he takes something that Trump has in his budget and tries to say he's defunding the police. It's a lie. Absolutely a lie. Let me just, here, let me ask you this. If you put together a budget at your house and you said, I'm going to take uh, $30 away from my budget for uh, DirecTV and I'm going to put it over on Netflix and Disney, have you reduced spending on uh, what you watch on television? And the answer is no. And that's exactly what we're seeing as far as the president goes. Uh, He's moved money around from one organization to another, but all of the organizations he's moving the money around to are law enforcement organizations. So he's not cutting funding in any way, shape, or form. He's just moving the funding to add funding in one place or another versus uh, in some place that he's got the funding going to right now. Now, fracking. I've played audio on this show because I was stunned when Biden actually jumped on the the Kamala Harris bandwagon and said he wanted to get rid of fracking, and you, you remember when I played that. Now, just so you know, since I don't have a staff of, of five people, we don't have, a, you know, a, a, a big uh, uh, archive footage place because it takes a lot of work to put that together where you, you, you take uh, uh, statements and things. And I'll say to, to Heidi once in a while, make sure we hold on to that one because I know it's going to play back later. Well, he said that he didn't believe in fracking. I didn't tell Heidi to save it because I never thought that Biden would all of a sudden show up in Pennsylvania and, 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 and say stuff like this. Here's cut 36. Mr. Vice President, thanks so much for joining us. It's uh, Labor Day, so let's talk about jobs a little bit, specifically in Pennsylvania. Uh, fracking jobs. 
natural gas drilling is very important in this state. Uh, there are critics that suggest you're trying to have it both ways. That is, you want to tell the environmentalist wing of your party that you want to ban fracking, but you're telling workers here in Pennsylvania nothing to fear. I never told the environmentalists that I'm going to ban fracking, period, number one. Number two, there's a flat lie about what President Trump is saying. I've said repeatedly on the record and during the campaign, what I did say was I would make sure that any new fracking taking place made sure the water supply and methane was not leaking. There are the two things. That's it. I will not ban fracking. All right. That's flat-out lie. That's a, that's a complete flip-flop. He has said he's going to ban flank, flack, fracking as well as his running mate. Uh, Harris has said she wants to see fracking done away with uh, as well. All right, so you got that one that he's flip-flopped on. Let's go to cut 41. This is one of those convoluted ones. Try to figure this one out. He's saying that the economy is, uh, Biden says the economy is tanking because Trump, Trump, is trying to reopen the uh, uh, the economy. This is a little bit long. It's almost three minutes, but it's important that you hear it. Cut number 41. Be the first president in American history to uh, uh, end up, when he leaves office, having fewer jobs than when he took office. Not history, in the last 90 years. Uh, and, uh, you know, you got, uh, um, you know, six more than six million people uh, infect with COVID. You're heading toward uh, the 200,000, above 200,000 range of people have died from COVID. And uh, he still has no plan. I mean, there's virtually no plan as to how to deal with it. And uh, you see what's happening uh, across the country. We're, uh, you know, we have more, we're averaging about 1,000 deaths a day you take the seven largest European countries and combine them, they have a population bigger than ours. And as of a week ago, they were averaging total 57 deaths a day versus 1,000 with a population larger than ours. And so uh, he has just sort of waved the white flag on on dealing with COVID. And he all he wants to do is just, just reopen. But... The way he's reopening is causing us to, uh, you know, shut down. Look what's happening with schools right now. If you have kids trying to get them back in school right now, it's pretty tough. The, um, you know, uh, I uh, seems to me that there is uh, things can and should change because for the first time, unions are respected more for the first time than they have been any time in the last 50 years. Over 65% of the American people support union movement, support union growth. And so, you know, the only thing standing in the way of us getting for people to be in a position where they actually have the ability to make a decent wage is a uh, prevailing wage is is uh, is to make sure that we uh, remove the guy who's there right now. The fact is that, uh, you know, we're in a position where we can fundamentally grow this country just by no other reason, just investing in infrastructure, roads, bridges, canals, all the things we have to do, airports, that in fact could create thousands and thousands of good paying jobs at prevailing wage. And uh, he keeps saying he wants to a uh, you know an infrastructure plan. He said he wanted one in 
you know, in 2016, 17, 18, 19. Now, he hadn't introduced a thing. What are we waiting for? Well, I, 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 don't, think that, you know, he, I don't think he has any interest in it whatsoever at this point. All right. So, softball questions from the media there. Uh, I can tell you several places that I would ask them uh, some different things as, as far as that, this uh, area go. Uh, just looking ahead, sometimes send something to me that didn't make any sense anyway. Uh, let's go back and just go over. He says all those European countries, uh, socialist countries. Uh, America is a free country, uh, at least free to, to determine whether, you know, for the most part, you want to wear a mask or not. And even Biden now has come out and he's 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 waffled on his answer about being forced to wear a mask when he said, well, you know, there might be some constitutional issues there. Might? Might? Uh, I'd say there's some huge constitutional issues there. He talked about schools. Kind of hard to get back to school. All right, so Britain's back in school. Germany's back in school. France is back in school. Australia's going back to school. All these other countries are going back to school. It's... Do you you want to know where the problems are uh, in America about going back to school? It comes when the unions get involved. When the unions get involved, suddenly it's difficult to open up the schools. Unions want to see the president out. So they're doing everything they can to keep the schools shut down. Um, we talked about infrastructure. We'll get into that in the last segment. Uh, remember all of those shovel-ready jobs under the Biden and uh, or under the Obama and Biden uh, party back uh, in the uh, you know early part of this century, uh, and even o- Obama said there were no shovel-ready jobs. You know he talks about infrastructure. Biden does. The president put up an infrastructure program and. Uh, the Democrats wouldn't get behind it, and even members of his own party were uh, saying that they couldn't get behind it. So when we get back, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the vaccine, because what's going on about the vaccine and what Biden's saying, what Harris is saying, is ridiculous. It's a quarter till seven here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, more audio uh, from the Biden-Harris campaign coming your way in just a moment here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, so I'm, I'm down to just about nine minutes of time that I have. Ten minutes left here in this 6 o'clock hour. It's uh, ten minutes till 7 right now. And uh, traffic sounds good. Weather's going to be beautiful today. Uh, hope that uh, you, you're ready to go. I got up this morning all fired up, ready to go uh, today. And uh, this first hour has been pretty, I hope, eye-opening for you as you're driving uh, maybe into work or you're having a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're doing uh, right now. All right, so uh, something that has really bothered me, I spoke about this some yesterday, is that uh, people are are throwing up uh, questions about if a vaccine would become available, uh, let's say next month, end of next month, would you take it? 
you think that the president forced them in to go around all some of the protocols? Is it safe? Let me tell you what. It's safe. The FDA is, of course, in control. Uh, AstraZeneca, as I mentioned earlier on, has slowed their particular protocol down because they had one person out of 3,000 3, people that they're testing with show uh, some negative effects, and they're trying to figure out why one person did. And that should give you uh, the information you need that they're going to be safe with this. They're not going to put something out on the market that they have no idea what's going to happen. You know, there's no pharmaceutical company that's going to do that. If, if they put something out uh, on the market that they had no idea was safe or not, uh, they get their butt sued off. I mean, look, some of these people are getting their butt sued off for things that they did 50 years ago that they couldn't have even known uh, were bad, and they're, uh, they get sued about them. So just keep that in mind. But the vice president had this to say, would he take the vaccine, basically, uh, if the Trump administration uh, came up with it, kept number 42? I got asked the question, if the president announced tomorrow we have a vaccine, would you take it? Only if it was completely transparent that other experts in the country could look at it. Only if we knew all of what went into it. Because so far, nothing he's told us has been true. Can you, when's the last time you ever heard anybody said that what the president said, nothing that he said about anything is absolutely not true? I've, I've not heard that. All right. I didn't even say that about Obama. I said that he fudged on things. He would say things and he fudged on them. Uh, but I never said that he was just telling you untruths about things. And there, I mean, there, there, there's a cut. I don't have it. I wish I did. Where Harris said, the president said that you should inject yourself with bleach. That was out there because it was misinformation and it's been proven false left and right, but it hasn't kept her from repeating it. And, you know, and she said she had her own words about the vac- uh, vaccine. In fact, went on for two minutes. Here's what uh, Harris had to say about a vaccine. Cut First, 44. I want to talk about what's what's going on right yes, now in the news, uh, especially coronavirus. Yeah. If you win, your administration is going to inherit a really dire situation. Yeah. A key model is projecting deaths could reach 3,000 a day by December, in part because of declining vigilance of the public. So, as you know, President Trump has promised a coronavirus vaccine by the end of the year or maybe sooner. Would you trust that vaccine? I think that we have learned since this pandemic started, but really before that, that there's very little that we can trust that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. Um, From the beginning of this pandemic, he has called it a hoax. He has muzzled the public health experts. He has minimized the seriousness of it. He has created false expectations for the American people and American families, even though if he had listened to the scientists and the experts, he would have understood the gravity of it and the power that he as president of the United States has to actually save lives. And none of those were his priorities. His priority was to to do whatever he thought was 
uh, politically expedient. And um, so, no, I would not trust his word. I would trust the word of public health experts and scientists, but not Donald Trump. But do you trust that in the situation where we're in now, that the public health experts and the scientists will get the last word on the efficacy of a vaccine? If past is prologue, that they will not. They'll be muzzled. They'll be suppressed. They will be sidelined because he's looking at an election coming up in less than 60 days. And um, and he's grasping for whatever he can get to pretend that he has been a leader on this issue when he is not. So let's just say there is a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. Um, I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump. And it would have to be a credible source of information that talks about the um, the efficacy and the and the reliability of whatever he's talking about. I will not take his word for it. He wants us to inject bleach. I, no, I will not take his oh, word. There it is. All right. So it was there. I had I had not heard that very last part. He wants us to inject bleach. Not true. Uh, also, not true that he's not letting his people speak out. Fauci and. And all the rest of them has said the president has never told them they can't speak on uh, different issues and make their their uh, their thoughts known. Look at Fauci just yesterday. He said uh, that he didn't believe that we would have a vaccine by uh, Election Day. Uh, but then the rest of what he said was, but who knows? You know, they, they're doing all kinds of testing in a way that they've never done testing before, using all different types of, of ways of proving how good a vaccine is. And I just like how Harris wouldn't say, well, I won't take the vaccine. She didn't want to say that. That would be a bad piece of audio to have. Uh, so she wouldn't say that. She said she'd want somebody that uh, uh, was a scientist say that it was good. I bet you it's got to be a scientist that uh, is on her list, a scientist that she, she would like to believe. I doubt if Fauci came right out and said it, if she would do it, we, she would say. All right, last thing uh, that has come out is the thing about the Atlantic story about how the president supposedly disparaged our fighting men and women. It's a story that's in the Atlantic, which is a huge liberal uh, um, magazine that's not really read by a whole lot of people anymore. Uh, Bolton, a former uh, member of the president's cabinet, a, mem- a member who just wrote a book everybody couldn't wait for because they thought it was going to singe Trump. Not true. Uh, he had some things to say about Trump. A lot of people will disagree with Trump. But here's what he had to say about the Atlantic story. According to what that article said, uh, the president made uh, disparaging remarks about our soldiers, the people buried at the Anmarn Cemetery, uh, in connection with the decision for him not to go to the ceremony that was planned that afternoon. And and that's that was simply false. I don't know who told the author that, but that was false. And I recounted that in uh, in my book, The Room Where It Happened, and, and uh, re- reaffirmed that in response to questions the next day. Yeah, I mean, you've heard the back and forth between reporters on this. Jennifer Griffin came on today and said that she stands by her sources. She says that you were not, quote, in the room where it happened when this was discussed. Uh, What do you say to that? 
Well, she's just flatly wrong. Look, I can tell you exactly what it was. We, we were in the ambassador's residence uh, in Paris. We were supposed to be having a 1030 meeting uh, to brief the president for his meeting with French President Emmanuel Macron at 11. Uh, uh, the president was late, which is frequently the case. I don't think the entire affair lasted more than 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, and the main issue was whether or not weather conditions permitted the president to go out to the Anmarn Cemetery. Uh, the people I recall being there were John Kelly, one of his aides, Mike Pompeo, myself, uh, Jamie McCord, our ambassador to France. Uh, we had this discussion. It was mostly John Kelly presenting the logistical uh, reasons why the trip couldn't take place. Uh, and the president assented to the recommendation that he not go. All right, there you have it. When we come back, Congressman Hill joins us on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show, here on a Wednesday hump day, middle of the weekday over the hill day. We're closer to Friday than we were on Monday. It's a shortened week. We all, uh, for the most part, had Monday off, which was a, a very beautiful day and a great day to have off. And uh, came back to work yesterday. So yesterday you had to do double the work than you normally do on a Tuesday to catch up for where you were at because you didn't have Monday. But even though you had to do that, it was still nice to have Monday off. It's Wednesday, which means it's 7 o'clock, and at that time we always have Congressman French Hill with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And, Congressman, we got several different things I'd like to talk to you about today that I think are, are important to our listeners. Let's start off with the uh, Confucius Institute. For several months, I have been very concerned about them. I think that they're nothing more than an organization to help spy for the Chinese uh, Communist uh, government uh, here in the United States. And it looks like uh, there's a good possibility they're going to be shut down across the United States on college campuses and in high schools as well. Uh, can you bring us up on the latest on that? Well, you're right, Dave. Uh, these uh, centers, there are about uh, 500 of them across the world, 96 at colleges and universities here in the United States. And they started out as obviously a cultural center. But they've really become a real arm for propaganda for the communist regime. And they've really also uh, been a base of operations for recruiting people to steal intellectual property. Uh, we even had, of course, a University of Arkansas professor in engineering at Fayetteville who was uh, caught and charged with wire fraud is the only way to get him for what he was doing, which was taking money from the Chinese Communist Party and not telling his uh, superiors at the university and not his collaborators, and obviously uh, doing harm to the U.S. Uh, national security working on major engineering processes. Uh, the Senate has taken action on this, Dave. We haven't talked about this uh, 
previously on your show, but they passed a bill called S-939, the Confucius Act, uh, in the Senate. It was passed, I think, unanimously in the Senate by unanimous consent back in June. We've tried to bring it up in the House and have been blocked by Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats. It would effectively um, stop this growing what I think is a propaganda machine. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, they're using it as a methodology to go out and recruit. And what is it? I forget. I want to say 1,000 points of light. That's not right. That was George uh, Bush Sr.'s. The, the Thousand Talents Program. Thousand Talents. Thank you. I call it the Thousand Thieves Program because of what's what the reality has been that we've seen here at the University of Arkansas, we saw at Harvard, which is that it's morphed into not a cultural exchange center uh, where people learn about the Chinese culture and learn the Chinese language. And it's not a uh, sort of binational research alliance organization. It's really morphed into this strategic effort by China to steal intellectual property, not just in the United States, but in other other countries, and it's a it's a force of intimidation. I had a, a young intern in my office uh, this fall, Caleb Max, and he organized college age Republicans and Democrats at colleges all over the country to stop the growing communist influence on our college campuses. It sounds like Dave a flashback to the 1950s. Um, but Caleb has done a lot of work here with his colleagues on college campuses. Very impressive. And one thing that bothered him was that when he asked uh, Chinese students to join him in the effort, they were afraid. Yep. <clears throat> they were afraid of doing that because of what might happen to their family back in China. And that tells you all you need to know. Yeah. That, that, that says it all, that the long arm of the Chinese uh, Communist Party can can reach easily uh, across the ocean by striking at the family of a student that's here in the United States. Unbelievable, but it's the communists. <laughs> what do we expect? Well, it's kind of what I expect it, from them. Yeah, you know, for young people in our country, though, I talk to my kids about this. This is what's uh, pervasive and concerning about Chinese technology, whether you're talking about WeChat or TikTok or the way the Chinese are using technology in their own country by integrating social media, banking, uh, health care, cameras, digital cameras in every metropolitan area and neighborhood of China, and they're uploading all this data, and they're creating a social quotient, effectively, a social rating for each Chinese citizen. Can you imagine that? We're talking about, you know, a billion people. And the higher your conformity to following the rules, being a good communist, the better off you are on what you can buy, where you can live, what your credit card limit is, whether you can travel. I mean, this is uh, dystopian 1984 Big Brother stuff like you don't know. And the concern is that they will extend that technology net 
around the world in other markets and use it for their own uh, spying activities or monitoring activities or social unrest activities. And we found out that Disney, when they were making Mulan, I guess uh, it has come out now that the city where they did most of their filming has the biggest concentration camp uh, of, uh, you know, political prisoners anywhere in their country. I mean, uh, yeah, Hollywood, I mean, the ch- Hollywood has been playing uh, kissy face with the Chinese now for several years. Yeah, you know what it reflects. You know, during the Cold War, what were what was a major theme for all Cold War movies from the James Bond series forward? Well, it was uh, strange Eastern European countries, or behind the Eastern Bloc, or something going on with Russia. From Russia with love. Yeah, but you don't see any. Uh, Chinese communist major motion pictures because the Chinese communists are financing the major motion pictures in Europe and the United States. That's concerning, too. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, you don't hear much about, you know, we we called our fight during the Cold War with the people behind the the wall or behind the Iron Curtain. And now nobody wants to make any mention of the bamboo curtain uh, that we're fighting uh, China behind. I mean, it's it's really very, very uh, uh, scary. All right, so with that said, let me move on to something that just broke today. Uh, I'm sure you probably have seen this. Just weeks after helping to broker peace between Israel and the uh, United Arab Emirates, President Trump has been nominated for the 2021 Nobel Peace Prize. That's kind of interesting. That's not going to help Biden's uh, uh, hoping to pull him out of the White House. You, you, you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's keeping with the uh, the global news media's plan. So that's shocking. I'm sure they'll do everything they can to make sure nobody reads that story. Did you hear what Christian uh, Tybring had to say? The man who made the, uh, you know, the, the said that the president should get the the uh, peace prize. He's a member of the Norwegian parliament. He lauded Trump for his efforts towards resolving protracted conflicts worldwide. Quote, for his merit, I think uh, President Trump has done more trying to create peace between nations than most other peace prize nominees. Unbelievable. Yeah, let's recite that for our listeners. Who, after 30 years of failed policy on uh, North Korea, from particularly the Obama, just abandonment of any effort, President Trump tried to re-strike a deal there. He got a 15-0 to vote in the United Nations Security Council for sanctions on North Korea, including the vote of China, to work towards denuclearization of one of the most dangerous areas and one of the most bizarre, dangerous regimes in the world. He moved the uh, our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, something President Clinton promised to do, something that Congress wanted to do in the 1990s, as a signal that says, look, Israel's here. Israel is a major ally of the United States. Israel is a force for good in scientific research. We're going to build a new relationship in the Middle East. He got us out of the appeasement agenda of John Kerry by exiting from a bad deal with Iran to put pressure on Iran to come to the table for a good deal. Uh, He killed ISIS and ended ISIS existence in their terror reign. Uh, He's working uh, for 
in Africa. He's working in uh, Syria behind the scenes, not successfully yet, but behind the scenes trying to bring a slow end to the conflict in Syria. He's worked tirelessly to get the Russians to back down in the Ukraine. He's strengthened NATO. He's got more members of the 28 NATO, NATO alliance paying their fair share now. These are all things that lead to American leadership and to a safer world. No, wait. I thought everybody hated us. Oh, that's right, because that's what we read in the newspaper every <laughs> that's day. That's right. Absolutely and what you hear on television. I, You know, this is, uh, this is uh, why it's nice to have a Norwegian parliamentarian step up and say what behind the scenes is actually happening and not in the spin machine of the Beltway, Washington Post, New York Times editorial page. Oh, and by the way, he's also the NATO Parliamentary Assembly. He's a member of that. You know, those are the guys that hate Trump. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. There you <laughs> anyway, go. I mean, it, I gotta you know, love it. you, 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 you got to love it. And um, anyway, I think this work in, in the Middle East, the UAE uh, effort, um, let's give President Carter and President Clinton credit for progress in uh Israeli-Arab relations, important efforts. Uh, President Trump deserves the same level of praise for trying to bring uh, a better sense of partnership in that region and reset relations. And this UAE announcement is not a small announcement. It's just as meaningful as uh, uh, Jordan and Egypt coming to the table uh, and uh, the work that... uh, Uh, President Clinton did between the Palestinians and Israel. Still a tough conflict, no doubt. No doubt. These these are decades in the effort to heal the hearts of thousands of years of conflict. All right. When we come back, I want to talk to you about uh, the vice president, former vice president, and some of his snide remarks uh, along with his running mates about vaccines. Uh, want to talk still about the cities, and then you're going to be out at the food bank. I want to talk about that as well. That's all coming up, though. We've got to get a break in here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about P. Uh, excuse me, P.I. Roofing. Uh, they're ready to help you in your final uh, defense against the elements in your home. You know, your roof, that's what that's what it does. It, it helps keep the cool air in during the summer, hot air out, keeps the rain out, keeps the snow out, keeps the wind from mussing your hair in the morning when you're having your morning coffee. Uh, it does a lot of things for you, and you need to take the time to make sure that it's still uh, doing what it's supposed to do. To do that, go to PI Roofing, call them. You've got to call this number. Now, this is the sa- this same number I call. All right, 707-3551, 707-3551. You call that number, and the folks at PI Roofing will uh, come out to your house. They'll keep their social distancing going. Uh, they're going to have masks on when they, if they have to talk to you. Uh, basically, everything is done over the phone or uh, done in text, and uh, you don't have to break your social distancing or anything like that. So you're... You stay safe. Their workers stay safe. But you know what? Your roof stays at 100%. That's PI Roofing, 707-3551 or piroofing.com. All right, final segment with Congressman French Hill joins us each Wednesday. Uh, The vice president and his running mate, Senator uh, Harris, 
have been uh, out uh, poo-pooing uh, a vaccine before the election, uh, basically stating that unless they hear from established scientists, there's no way they believe a vaccine uh, against COVID-19 would work. In other words, if the president said it would work, uh, they would doubt it. Uh, it, it, it. It's a sad day in politics, as far as I'm concerned, when you call the president a liar about something like this. Let's uh, let's talk about that, Congressman. Well, first of all, Congress has put up $10 billion to support Operation Warp Speed to speed a vaccine to the world, not just the American people, but the whole globe, as well as the work we're doing on therapeutics to treat coronavirus. But this $10 billion Warp Speed project is essential. And guess what? Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, guess who is doing it? The scientists, you, you idiots. There are 100 prospects for vaccines that started out, and we've narrowed it down to seven, and they're in clinical trials, phase three clinical trials with humans, and uh, they are working at warp speed to try to do that on behalf of the world to find a vaccine that works, a vaccine that is as effective as possible against this coronavirus. And let me tell you, Senator Harris is shameless for going on CNN and trashing the president, saying she wouldn't take the vaccine. This is nonsense. And the vice president, Biden, he should be ashamed of himself. And even the Washington Post called them out saying it's insane what they're saying and saying all Americans should be rooting for a, quote, October surprise, quote, a close quote. I couldn't agree more with the Washington Post. It thrills me to be able to say that since it never happened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. So seriously, this is this is this is just election year madness. We have that with Nancy Pelosi, with the post office. We have it. Uh, with all these fear techniques that someone's going to abolish Social Security. You just know you're in a presidential election year. And now we have the best scientists and the best companies worldwide working on a vaccine. And we have the leaders of the Democratic Party politicizing it. Pitiful is my response. All right. Let's uh, we got just a few moments. The cities. Uh, there's still a flame, yet the media has backed off on their coverage, uh, probably because the Democrats know that it was destroying their credibility in front of the American people. Just some statistics that I used yesterday. In Chicago alone, 3,000 shootings almost in this year uh, since January 1st, 476 deaths. 176 of those deaths are children 16 and under. Our cities are dangerous areas to go to. They're dangerous, and this is why we need consensus in this country that Democratic slogans like defunding police or encouraging rioting or being silent about looting and rioting and uh, perpetual crime and not condemning uh, the killing. Uh, nightly killings of people by teenage children shooting and kids under 16 dying is a, is in, the, in our big cities. Is, it's a crisis, and we should be condemning it. We should be doing more policing, more training, more uh, de-escalation, more work to restore uh, love for each other and our families. So 
the Democrats have changed their view, and yet they're stuck with the progressive policy, which is to defund the police. They want to get rid of the police. They want to take police out of our schools. They think that's in, that is an inciting event. It's traumatizing kids to have resource officers in our public schools. I mean, All that's right. how crazy it is. Congressman, one minute left. Uh, you're going to be at the Arkansas Food Bank today. Yeah, Dave, we've still got so many families uh, hurting as we try to get our economy back open. Arkansas is so much better off than so many other states. But uh, I want to encourage people to support our food banks. Uh, we're doing that with the U.S. Department of Agriculture supporting our food banks. If anybody can support the food bank with cash contributions or with food, you know it will go to a good use to help our families that are still struggling. All right. Thank you much, Congressman. We'll let you go and get on with your day. We'll talk to you uh, next Wednesday. Alarmist regard. See you then. All right. Bye-bye now. Congressman uh, French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Coming up, Dan Eberhardt will join us, CEO of Canary Oil. We're going to talk about the economy. We're going to talk about these, uh, I don't know, maybe they're LSD flashbacks that uh, that Biden is having and some of the crazy stuff he's having. Uh, Joe Rogan said something about Biden uh, yesterday that I thought was great. Let me read it to you. Quote, Biden to me is like having a flashlight with a dying battery and going for a long hike in the woods. It is not going to work out. It's not going to make it. That's what what Joe Rogan uh, had to say. All right, Russia's next, and we'll be back with Dan uh, Eberhardt here on the Dave Ellswick Show, so stay tuned. we got a lot more coming your way here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. And so uh, we're about 24 minutes away from 8 o'clock. If you've got to be at work at 8, you might want to put the pedal to the metal just a little bit more. Uh, Joining us... Uh, we thought Danny Eberhardt was going to be with it, but we've got Bruce Westerman. Congressman Westerman is with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And we always, always take our uh, uh, congressmen or senators uh, above any other guest. And he joins us today. And uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the news, uh, Congressman. I want to start off with the vaccine. I want to play a, a real quick piece of audio I I played earlier today, and I and I, I find this really disingenuous uh, by the vice former Vice President Biden. Here's what he had to say about the vaccine. This is cut number 42. So I got asked the question: If the president announced tomorrow we have a vaccine, would you take it? Only if it was completely transparent that other experts in the country could look at it. Only if we knew all of what went into it. Because so far, nothing he's told us has been true. Unbelievable, Congressman. Yeah, that's uh, that's sad. That's uh, you know, if he had said that about Putin or uh, or some some, if North Korea came out with a vaccine, yeah, maybe uh, maybe you want to question that. But you know, it's not Donald Trump in the lab developing a vaccine. It's some <laughs> of our best, brightest, and smartest medical and, and scientific people, uh, not only in this country, but in the world. And uh, for, for Biden to say that is uh, obviously highly politically motivated and, and makes about as much sense as some of the other stuff he says. Yeah, well, he's saying crazy stuff out there now. I mean, he's grasping at straws now. Uh, with that said, let's remind everybody that 
the House and the Senate have put billions of dollars up. Uh, and as far as this goes, as far as this vaccine goes, correct? Oh, yeah. The, the CARES Act and then funding that was already in place to do research is all being uh, put towards developing a vaccine. And we should be celebrating the uh, the innovation and the, the capabilities that we have here to get a vaccine as as soon as possible. And, you know, they they said early on that if you can get one within a year, it's it's like a miracle. Uh, and it looks like we could have have a vaccine before the end of the year. And they're you know, they're going through the trials. And I, I saw where uh, I don't remember which trial it was, but they suspended it because one of the uh, people got ill during the trial. So yeah, it was I don't Astra, think that was AstraZeneca. Yeah. So I don't think uh, uh, just because it's the, the current president of the United States that announced we have a vaccine, um, people should be scared to take it. They need to look at goes, what goes into um, for developing that vaccine. Yeah, it's it's just amazing. I mean, I guess we, you know, we shouldn't have believed that we had an atomic bomb. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the Truman, that's why the Japanese didn't believe Truman is because he told them and it wasn't complete transparency and all the physicists hadn't signed on to the letters that they dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki before they dropped the bomb and said it would work. So anyway, uh, you know, Dave, when I was when I was a kid, I remember some of the uh, older people in, in my community that never, never believed we actually went to the moon. They thought that was all staged out in the, yep. in the desert. Yeah, also I, people I that agree. think the world's world still think the world's flat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree with that as as well. Hey, what do you think? The big news coming out today, uh, the president has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that yet, but that uh, that's that's interesting. I wouldn't yeah. have, I wouldn't have guessed that one. It was a Norwegian. He doesn't deserve it. Yeah, Norwegian uh, uh, parliamentary member made the nomination uh, because of his Israeli UAE deal that he brokered. And uh, that's big news. I think that he has a good shot at winning it. That would be amazing, would it not? Yeah, I think that's certainly uh, meritorious of winning a Nobel Prize, the work that he's done on that. Uh, But it's just in today's climate, it just um, surprises me that, that they actually nominated him for one. Yeah, let's see if if uh, the media reports that as as uh, positively as they did for uh, President Obama. Yeah, and what did he win his Nobel <laughs> I, Prize for? Because he was the first black president, basically. Okay, that's, that's the reason he won it. All right, let's let's talk uh, a little bit more. Let's talk about out in California. Uh, California is aflame again. We talked about this last year. We need to talk about it this year. Uh, when is California going to get their uh, act together and get their forestry department under control? I mean, basically about 10% of the state is on fire right now. Yeah, when you think about 2.3 million acres <clears throat> that have burned up, that's the... Uh, that's about the size of the of the Washita and Ozark forest. Wow, that's burned up in in California. Um, it's and it's going to keep doing that. We we got some 
good pieces of legislation passed, a lot of it in the Farm Bill in 2018, and we had a big press conference where everybody was kind of celebrating. Uh-huh. And I made the statement that, yeah, these, these changes are good. I said, but it took decades of mismanagement for these forests to get in the condition they are, and we're still looking at, at probably decades to reverse the trend. And I said back then, I said, we're going to see bigger and worse fires than we've seen in the past. Uh, because if you look at the data, it's on an exponential increase. You know, it would it would take a uh, almost an army of people going in and, and doing thinning and control burning uh, to get this under control quicker. But it's such a vast area, and there's uh, so much undergrowth that's been building up for so long. And you know, the uh, people always want to say, "Well, this is this is." climate change it's a increased temperature well if if you take that argument and say okay the temperature is increased we got more fire risk well, what are you going to do about it the best thing you can do is still go in and thin and do controlled burning and keep it so that when those fires start they burn low to the ground and they don't get up in the in the crowns of the trees and we've we saw that at the campfire um you know where the where the fire actually stopped, where they're able to put a line in, was where a timber company had thinned the undergrowth to protect their own uh, their own investment. And that's where the fire dropped down out of the crowns and uh, down onto the forest floor. I've got um, uh, additional legislation out there in my Tree and Trees Act that would target um, kind of a triage approach to it, where you look at uh, what we call the wildland urban interface is where you got buildings uh, coming into contact with uh, with the wildlands. Uh, we've got a designation for transmission corridors. You know the the big campfire that I talked about that was blamed on uh, Pacific Gas and Electric. Right. But they were not they were not allowed by California rules and and uh, national environmental rules to go in and take. Uh, dead trees out of their power lines and keep those power lines where you could actually uh, control a fire in them. Uh, then you got transportation corridors along long highways and, and sensitive watersheds. Those are the areas we need to really be concentrating on doing the management first. Uh, you're going to protect more uh, property and lives when you do that. And, uh, you know, my my Democratic colleagues up here, they're always arguing about natural infrastructure. Well, that's like the most basic natural infrastructure uh, investment that you can make to keep these forests healthy. Um, not to mention, um, you know, it, 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 this all ties together. Carbon in the atmosphere, its you, you generate tons of it when a forest burns. So you want to keep that carbon stored in the trees. You want to make wood products out of the trees. And you want to make the forest healthier so you can actually store more carbon uh, in the forest. It's not rocket science, but it is science that we know how to how to implement. It's just getting the, the political will to do it. And there's so many people making so much money off of you know, suing the government and, and having their uh, boutique uh, environmental organization uh, with clickbait on the Internet and that sort of stuff. Uh, there's... You know, if you if you look, there's nearly always a financial interest motivating this stuff. I agree. We've been talking about this ever since you were in uh, 
the legislature here in uh, in Arkansas. Now you're trying to make a difference up in the national uh, legislature. Let's take a quick break, Congressman. We'll come back. We'll finish up. I know you're working on some new legislation. I'll let you talk about that. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the rioting still going on in our cities as we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, we're talking to Congressman Westerman, Bruce Westerman, uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Good to have him with us. Uh, We've covered the vaccine story. We've been talking about the forest fire story out in California. Now let's move to the cities. And uh, it's been pulled back a little bit by the national media, and I believe, Congressman, it's because the Democrats have found themselves now on the wrong side of the issue and so they don't want to talk about it. And so the, uh, the ABC, NBC, CBS and some of the others don't want to talk about it either. But still bad things going on. I, I, I brought these statistics up to people yesterday here on the show. Let me just uh, bring them to you in Chicago uh, alone. Since the beginning of the year, they've almost had 3000 shootings, 3000 shootings, 476 deaths. And of those 476 deaths, 176 are children 16 years of age or under. There is no excuse for that. Yeah, that's that's really, really sad. And we've known these statistics have, have been out there for quite some time. This isn't something that just started right now. And, you know, I think I've told you before, Dave, I couldn't. I think I'm pretty creative, but I couldn't make up some of the stuff that uh, the left comes up with to run on. You know, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Um, this so-called election reform—it's—it's it's basically uh, one of the worst things that could happen to elections to federalize them and, and implement California voting laws across the country. Uh, to have this idea that we want to defund the police—I mean. Who in their right mind would use that as a, a campaign platform? And I think it has backfired on them. I think Americans are seeing through a lot of the stuff that the, the Democrats are doing and being enabled by the national media. And are you surprised at all that the national media has pulled back on it once they see that it's uh, it's not playing well in the polls for Biden? No, it's, I'm not, um, not, it's a not pat- surprised. You know, it's a pattern that uh, we shouldn't be so surprised to see. And, uh, you know, I saw some data yesterday looking back at the, the 2016 election and how the Trump campaign won Wisconsin, how they won Pennsylvania, uh, why I think they've got a really good shot at winning Minnesota, which is arguably the most Democratic state in the in the country. They have yep. a president hasn't won Minnesota since 72, a Republican hasn't. But uh, if you look at, at Romney versus Trump numbers um, in the cities, Romney and Trump got basically the same votes. Uh, the numbers the numbers were almost identical in, in some of those urban areas. But it was the people in the smallest counties that made a huge difference for Trump in uh in 2016 and what i see as i travel around is when you're in rural areas you see those trump flags out there uh and you see not just uh people who 
support the president, but are highly motivated to support the president. Yes. So that that worked uh, in 16, and it looks like it's got a, a chance to work again uh, in 2020. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And a couple other things that I think are working in the president's favor, this whole thing about uh, law and order. Uh, the Democrats are on the wrong side of this issue big. I mean, they were on this wrong side of this issue back in the late 60s, and then Richard Nixon just beat McGovern into the ground because of it. He got 62% of the vote at that time. That could happen again when you start looking at how the president is surging with Hispanic and black voters now here in the United States. Yeah, it's... um you know this this idea of of anarchy and um, not peaceful protest but rioting and you know there was a uh, NPR did a story a couple of weeks ago and I just found out about it yesterday and I'm still trying to figure out how to respond to it but they actually uh, were promoting this book by a, a woman that was writing about how uh, yep. Uh, you know, anarchy was a was the thing to do. That riots were justifiable, yep. and to think that taxpayer dollars funded a platform so this nut job could have a, 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 a opportunity to basically, you know, promote destroying everything this country was built on. Yeah, it's 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 a sad situation uh, of what the left has done to our nation up to this time, but hopefully on November 3rd we'll put a stop to it, just like we did back at the uh, the end of the 60s into the early 70s. We had to put the fire out then. Bigger fire this time, got to put it out, and then we've got to do some things to get our children and our uh, young people uh, trained in what the real history of the United States is. Before I let you go, Congressman, uh, you're back in Washington, D.C. What you working on up there? I've got some uh, legislation that I needed to have time in my office with my staff to to uh, to work on it. You know, we talked about uh, forest fires, and I've got the big Trillion Trees Act, which is a uh, um, really neat bill. The fact that I'm the only forester in, in Congress uh, kind of gave me an opportunity to work on legislation like that. But I'm also... Um, you know, working really hard for Republicans and conservatives to take their rightful place in in conservation. You know, conservation is not a bad word. It's actually derived from the word conservative. That's right. And the 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 conservation movement started with a Republican, Teddy Roosevelt. He's considered by most people the father of conservation, and it was Republicans that. Um, put conservative principles in place to be good stewards and leave our uh, our world in better shape for the future generations. So uh, I'm working on a, a lot of legislation that puts uh, pragmatic market-based principles in place to help uh, conserve our environment. Um, you know, one of the things I'm looking at right now, there are uh, e- existing Corps of Engineer dams across the country that could have about 12,000 megawatts of power uh, generation added to them. And, you know, that's that's water that's already there, structures that are already there, and it's really low-cost uh, energy that you can produce from hydropower that is, is about as green a power as you can 
Uh, you can make, and plus it's base load power. You know, one of the, one of the problems with wind and solar, you only get power when it's when the wind's blowing or the sun's shining. But hydro, you get 24 hour power out of that. Yep. <clears throat> so, uh, with the, the committees I'm on, uh, the jurisdiction under those uh, those structures falls under the two committees that I'm on. So I'm working on legislation to how we develop out that 12,000 megawatts of hydropower that's sitting there going downstream every day. And I'm also working on uh, projects on how we, uh, and this would this would apply to Arkansas, uh, where we use surface water irrigation uh, instead of groundwater irrigation, and you can actually do it cheaper. Uh, you're also cleaning the surface water. You, know, either you hear about algal blooms in the Gulf of Mexico, and a lot of that is from nutrients washing down uh, the, the feeder rivers to the Mississippi. So if we take water out of the Arkansas River and use it for surface irrigation, you protect the Sparta aquifer, which is you can you can pretty much bottle that water for drinking purposes. Um, you you let it recharge. You're taking surface water out. You can use the crops as a natural uh, filter. It actually purifies the water and takes nutrients out of it before you release it back. And then we're also looking at ways to incorporate uh, like poultry litter and organic fertilizer back into soils in the delta, which would build up the organic matter and would add carbon to the soils, which we can soil can be another carbon sink. And it's it's got a ton of really positive benefits to it, but we've got to get some policy in place on the federal level to make some of that happen. Well, good luck for Pelosi yeah. on that. <laughs> as far well, as the, that's the concerned. thing about it is. You know, Pelosi and the left talk about all this stuff, and what I figured out is, is all they want to do is uh, be problem identifiers. But mm-hmm. uh, we know how to solve problems, and you know a lot of the things that um, that uh, the left, and especially the radical left, do is they want to stir up issues, but they don't ever want to solve them. I got gotcha. you, so, Congressman. Uh, we're, I got to. I got to jump in. I got to jump in. We're out of time. Thanks for joining us today on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks. Yep. Good to be with you, Dave. Have a good right. Bye bye. Congressman Westerman here on Dave Ellswick Show coming up. Uh, Six o'clock. Joe and Duck will be with me here on the Dave Ellswick Show. to the 6 o'clock hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and uh, we're going to talk with Joe Sharp and uh, uh, Donald Godsey, better known as Duck, uh, Joe from Joe's Garage over Crystal Hills Road in North Little Rock, 
And, of course, uh, Duck is over in Benton off of Air Lane Drive over there by the uh, the New Boys and and Girls Club. Can't miss either location. Big, lots of cars around them, uh, people getting their cars fixed. I take my car uh, to Joe's Garage. I've been doing that for almost 20 years. And yesterday, guys, just so you know, I have been on radio here in the Little Rock Market for 20 years now. Uh, that that yeah. happened yesterday. So I've been around for a while. I don't look the same as I did when I got here. i got to let you know that. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have any hair on the top of my head, and I've, now I've got a, a, you know, kind of a Fu Manchu look going on on my face. So anyway, uh, I look different than I did, and my hair is not dark anymore. It is uh, almost uh, gray to white. <laughs> That's the way I look now. And you know what? You guys don't look the same either. No. <laughs> just 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 being being honest here. All right, so here in the six o'clock hour, I just wanted to let you know that we're listened to when we do this segment. In fact when the Dave Ellswick show is on, it's listened to everywhere in the state because we're on the radio. Uh, we are on one oh one point one FM the answer dot com and the podcast and we are on Facebook Live. Uh, we haven't been on Facebook Live for a few weeks because of the hacking incident that happened to Salem nationally. But I just saw in an email last night from the folks at Salem that they're hoping to have that uh, start bringing our Internet connections back up here shortly, which means that our Facebook uh, broadcast will uh, begin again. So that uh, is exciting. But that brings us to our first question which comes from Rogers, Arkansas, guys, and here's what it said. The question says, here's a question for the car and truck doctors. Uh, I have a 2006 or 2005 Dodge Neon with about 115,000 miles on it. It recently started turning on the emergency brake light when I would accelerate from a stop sign. Uh, the light would stay on until I let off the gas and stop accelerating, usually about the time I get through the intersection. The brake is definitely not on. Any suggestions? And then there's this aside. If it helps, around the same time that this started happening, my cruise control also started acting up. It will operate normally, but if the car ever needs to accelerate quickly, the cruise control will turn off and can't be turned back on until after the car is turned off and then back on, which would tell me it's clearing a code somewhere. So, guys, I'll let you turn over here. Let's start off with you, Joe. Since you weren't here last week, you should be all full of ready to talk. So uh, it's your turn. Go. Well, you know, what's wrong with that car from what I got on it is it is low on brake fluid. There's a level sensor in the master cylinder. When he accelerates and takes off, the brake foot is marginally low. When it sloshes back, the level sensor says it's low on brake foot, and it's going to turn the e-brake light on, the red brake warning light. It's the same light as what the e-brake light is. And number two, when it does that, if it turns on that warning light, cruise control is not going to function because it uses a brake pedal to disengage that, and any code mm-hmm. set in there is going to take the cruise away. What do you think, Duck? Yeah, it's it's lower brake fluid, Joe, and he he needs a set of pads on it. Most likely, the pads are wore down real thin, 
and that's why it's a little brake fluid. Uh, but you're right, it's going to turn a code. It's going to set a code in it, and he's got to cycle a key before the killer, you know, put the code in memory. Then his crews will go back to working. But until he, if it's that low and he don't have a leak, he needs some disc pads on it. Don't you think so? Yes, sir. I, I guarantee it. A lot of folks don't realize it. Uh, with these uh, disc brake calipers, the pistons are big on them, but as the pads wear, the pistons go out, so they're in the brake fluid level drops. Well, when it drops down to the point to where that level sensor can't uh, keep that light off, it's going to have this issue. That doesn't mean that uh, there's anything, there's not anything leaking. It's just put the fluid out to the pistons because the pads are thin. You're exactly right. So bottom line, the first thing that people should, that this guy should do is uh, come and see a a bumper-to-bumper certified service center and have you guys check his pads, correct? Exactly. Yeah, he could put he could put a little brake fluid in it to keep that light out. You know, don't fill it up all the way because when you go to do the brake pads on it and push those pistons in, it's gonna push that fluid out top of the mass cylinder, right, Doug? Exactly. It's gonna it's gonna overfill it then, you know, and then you're gonna have a you think you got a leak around the mass cylinder, which you don't really have. That's just the excess uh, brake fluid is coming out of it. All right, so I've got another question, and it kind of has. It, it, it has a relationship issue with this first question, and it, it's talking about, you know, sometimes one thing may lead to another thing. And this is Rob. He's got a 2004 Dodge Ram. It's a 1500 SLT, eight-cylinder, 5.7-liter engine. He says, I recently had the oil pan replaced because it was seeping oil, uh, two days later, I picked it up. It started leaking again, and now they're telling me it's not the oil pan, but the rear main seal. Could they have damaged the seal when they were replacing the pan? And it seems to me, Duck, we talked about this within the last couple of weeks. and that, yeah, We had uh, that about three weeks ago. Yeah, explain. So this guy's having the same problem. And why don't you explain what's going on here? Well, Dave, you, he, they, it was probably the rear main oil seal leaking to start with. It runs right down the back of the pan. They thought the pan gasket was leaking. They put a pan gasket on it, but it was probably the rear main oil seal leaking to start with. Uh, you know, uh, the transmission's got to come out of it. The flywheel's got to come off of it, or the flex plate to... Uh, to put a rear main oil seal in this thing. Uh, I'd lay you odds it wasn't oil pan to start with, you know, without me seeing it. I mean, I'm just guessing. But if he picked it up and it had the same leak leaking in the same identical spot, then the rear main oil seal was leaking to start with. And it could have been both of them leaking, Dave. They could have repaired part of it, but they didn't They didn't repair the whole The whole problem. Yeah, this goes back to the, the, the initial question, guys, that we had about the gentleman uh, wondering why his, uh, you know, brake light was coming on and uh, low fluid. It's because of some other issue, in this case, probably the calipers. Now you have, you know, a guy says, he, I had a leak in my oil pan, when in fact it may have been that rear seal all along. And it could have been, yeah, it could have been the rear seal. Go ahead, Joe. I agree with you on that, Duck, completely. You know what? What folks need to remember out there is oil runs downhill. 
And any oil that leaks off an engine drips off the oil pan. Exactly. How many times have we seen a, a misdiagnosis on an oil pan leak? Because of uh, that reason, you know, you're hunting for a, a, something above that that would be running down and dripping off the back. And but I can honestly tell you, putting a rear, uh, putting a oil pan gasket on it did not damage the rear seal. There's no, no way you could even touch it from taking the oil pan off. Okay, no, if that's what the, if it. that's what the guy's looking for, that's that's yeah. a non-starter. But the bottom no. line is uh, what you're both saying is because that rear seal drips, it drips onto the uh, back and runs down by the oil seal. You might misinterpret it. So, Dave, well, that rear that rear main's hard to see, isn't it, Doug? Yeah, you can't. I mean, even with a camera, you know, we got cameras we can stick up in there. Even with a camera. It's still hard to see it. I mean, it's just, you know. And if it's got a lot of miles on it, Joe, the seal's probably got hearts. What's wrong? And it's not yep. sealing up against the crankshaft no more. You know, it's, it, you know. But uh, I'd lay odds he probably had a rear main oil seal leaking to start with. But somebody thought it was an oil pan because where it was dripping at and put an oil pan gasket on it. All I right. agree. And not just. It's not to say that it didn't need no oil pan gasket. I mean, it could have needed it, but the leak was probably the rear main oil seal all along. All right, are you going to bring up something, Duck? What was it? All right, speaking of of a rear main oil seal, Dave, I had a customer here about eight or ten years ago brought his pickup truck in there. It's F-250 with a 7.3 in it. He said, I need a rear main oil seal that's leaking. I've had it checked, and it's they say, and I said, it's not the rear main oil seal. He said, no, I want a rear main oil seal put in it. And I said, that's not your leak. I said, your leak is a twenty is a $3.25 O-ring leaking on the high-pressure pump. He said, no, I've already had it checked at Ford. Ford said huh. it's a rear main oil seal. And he just demanded I put a rear main oil seal. I said, I'm going to put one in it, but that's not going to fix your problem. So I don't want you coming back griping at me. So... I told my guy, I said, take it back there, wash the top of the engine, find the oil leak on top of the engine, and come get me. He took it back there, found the oil leak. It's a high-pressure oil line, O-ring leaking. I said, fix the O-ring, and I'll go get this guy. So the customer was still there, so I go get him. I said, right here's your leak. Here's why you think it's rear main oil seal. On a 7.3, they drilled a hole in the back of the block to let the oil drip out, and it drips out right on top of the rear main oil seal out of the valley. <laughs> that guy insisted I wind up putting a rear main oil seal in it just to make him happy. And how much did that cost him? Uh, well, it was a four-wheel drive. It's about eight hours labor to pull the transmission transfer case. It probably cost him twelve, thirteen hundred dollars. And how much was the other one? Charged him one hundred twenty-four dollars to fix it. Oh my God. It's yeah. hours labor plus uh, the O-ring. Is, it used to be like $3.25. And it's a special O-ring, Dave. You can't put just any O-ring on it. It's a brown, high-pressure, high-temperature O-ring. Listen to guy, your – man, listen to your technician. Go ahead. But the guy just insisted. I know it's a rear main oil seal leaking, so I told my guy, I said, pull the transmission, put a rear main oil seal. If they ain't going to fix the problem. But when you get through, go ahead and put an O-ring up on top so I don't have to listen to him come back bitching. There you go. I showed him the O-ring. When we, he pulled the fitting out of the high-pressure pump, the O-ring was splitting, too. I said, here's your problem. And, but, you know, I wasn't about going to send it out of there without fixing the problem. 
Well, yeah. I mean, because he would have been back saying, you know, why didn't you fix it? You know what I'm saying? You guys are always oh, yeah. wrong in a situation like that. So, best you you handled that exactly right. Good job. But, but Dave, hey, Dave. I'm still having a customer today. Yeah. All right. Sure. What well, you got, Joe? Go ahead. Well, I wanted to comment on that just a little bit. We get people that come in, especially guys, that own trucks and cars and they've done everything in the world. They've done all the research on the Internet and looked at the YouTube videos, and they'll come in and they'll say, I need this procedure done. And I'll say, why? Well, I've already had it checked, and I don't want to pay you to check it. I just want you to do the procedure. And I'll say, okay, now remember this. You're hiring me to work on your car, not tell you what's wrong with it. So when I get through with it, if that don't fix it, I don't want to hear no whining. I said, but if you'll give me the opportunity to do what I do every day, I'll make sure the repair fixes your car. Or if that ain't what's wrong with it, I'll tell you what's wrong with it, and then we can proceed from there. But if you're hell-bent on doing this job, I'll do it. But remember, I'm not going to be held liable for anything. Right. Because you're the one that made the call. And and Doug's in there. He knows. We got some oh, folks yeah. out there, guys, that are just so stubborn you couldn't you couldn't change their mind with a with a sledgehammer hitting them in the head. They ain't gonna happen. So, well, and that and that that leads you away from working on a car instead of fixing a car, right? That's the difference. Exactly. He hired us to work on it, not fix it. All right, let's get our break in. We got to do that first break with Joe and Duck. They're here. Remember, if you want. To ask them a question, uh, if you'll send it to me, uh, to Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R, dot com, uh, she'll uh, get the question to us, like the, the gentleman from Rogers, and we'll ask these guys, and they'll get the answer for you. Uh, we'll come back. we got more questions uh, for the guys, and uh, we'll just chew the fat a little bit as well. We'll find out what Joe was doing last. Uh, well, we know he was taking care of a family member. We won't get into that. But anyway, bottom line is we'll take our break right now, and then we'll be back with more here on the Car and Truck Doc. Continue with uh, Joe and Duck here on the, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. We are talking uh, about cars. That's what we always talk about here uh, on Wednesdays at the, in the 6 o'clock hour. Victor has a 2013 Dodge Dart XSXT, four-cylinder, two-liter engine. He says, uh, my car, whenever I start the car up in colder weather, it makes a weird grinding sound that appears to come from the front passenger side, possibly under the hood. As the car warms up, the grinding sound goes away. I'm not sure what's causing it or what it is. Could you tell me what you think it is or could be? Well, Well, on the front passenger side? Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, you know, first thing I'd want to do is let it sit overnight and get cold and pull the belt off before you ever start it. Could be a tensioner, you know, uh, drive grease, uh, you know, just had to do some checking to find it out. But you're probably going to have a tensioner belt or a tensioner pulley or something other that's dry, Dave. What do you think, Joe? Well, I was going to say that, you know, noise is very hard to do, and that's kind of a vague description of it. 
you know. Uh, yep. It, it's difficult, but, you know, uh, Duck is probably spot on there. Get rid of that belt and, you know, you could start it cold and hear the noise, take the belt off, see if it changed any. That'll tell you if it's on any of the accessories or in the motor or the transmission. He didn't tell us whether that was automatic or standard, but that's a dart. So, you know, it, it's got actually got a standard transmission that shifts off solar noise for an automatic, right, Doug? Exactly. You know, so and they have a lot of them transmissions. Yeah. <clears throat> Joe, why don't you why don't you explain what you're talking about when you say it acts like a you know, it's an automatic transmission, but it does it act like a you know, a manual? Is that what you're saying? Oh, it is a manual transmission. No, okay. And and, and it's got it's that it's got solenoids that activate the clutch and shift it. Yeah, it's uh, and they got a, a single single clutch and a dual clutch. So there's a lot of mechanical moving parts when it's sitting there in neutral, but the way that thing works, the minute you touch that gas pedal, it lets the clutch out. And you think it's automatic, but actually technically it's a standard transmission. Huh. That's interesting, for sure. All right, well, so that's you, dark, but, you, know. <laughs> you guys think it's probably a belt then that's uh, causing or a tensioner for the belt that's causing the problem. All right, one more question before we get our next break in. Craig's got a 2002 Toyota Camry LE four-cylinder, 2.4 liter. My wife parked the car in the parking lot in the morning. She started the engine in the evening without anything abnormal to her. When she tried to drive, the car moved very slowly and uh, skidding in a slant direction. The ABS light is on. What's the problem? She did realize, by the way, that the left rear wheel was locked up and didn't spin at all, while the other three wheels seemed to function normally. That probably is important information, guys. Oh, yeah, it's I'm very important it. information. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to say it's got a parking brake cable bound up. I'm agreeing with that. Either that or something come apart in the rear brakes. One of the and that's why the ABS lights on because all that one wheel is not spinning and the other three are and it's not got a not got a signal from the wheel speed sensor on the one that's locked up so that's going to activate the ABS and turn the track lights and ABS lights brake lights on so yeah to see that the parking brake cable is hung up or the something in the brake shoes the springs broke or something other yeah but there right, again Joe so- we need to tear it apart and look at it. Exactly. You know, if that wheel's not turning, if, if something bound up in there, I mean, you know, you'd like to ask mm-hmm. the question, do you hear any bearing noise when you parked it? Because wheel bearing might have come apart on it, you know? Very possible. We don't, have, we don't have that option, so it would be a pull the wheel off and uh, just do an inspection on it and see what's binding up in there. All right, we got down. We're down to a minute here left before break. Uh, Joe? So for everybody's uh, curiosity, what were you doing last week? Took my wife to North Carolina to help her sister that had a shoulder replacement, and my brother-in-law put me to work. I worked on a 1949 Clark forklift. We got it operating and running, and uh, the, the rams going up and down, in and out. And then we moved over to a 70-something model uh, Alice Chalmers tractor. We got it running, tire on it, and 
Got the start switch on it and redid the battery cables and serviced it. Yeah, I worked about five days last week <laughs> on a bunch of old stuff. Yeah, on a time that you should have had some time to get away from it all. All right, guys, stay tuned. We got a break. We got news. When we come back, we'll continue talking. We've got Joe and we've got Duck on. They're talking about your cars right here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, we continue here after your news. We brought you up to date on what's going on in the world. And uh, here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show, and Juck, uh, Joe and Duck are here. Uh, Joe from Joe's Garage over in Crystal Hills Road in North Little Rock. Duck uh, is from Duck's Garage over on Fairlane Drive in Benton. Uh, if you got you know questions about your truck, the best way to get them answered is to email us at Heidi, H-E-I-D-I-H-E-I-D-I at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. And uh, if she gets it uh, during uh, this time right now, we'll answer it uh, for you while we're uh, on the air. If not, if it comes in a little bit later, uh, we'll get you in the following week. Jordan has a 1995 uh, Subaru Legacy, guys. It's an LS, four-cylinder, 2.2-liter engine. It says, my car is leaking underneath on the driver's side where the oil pan is. But it's antifreeze, not oil. It's dripping at a rate of about one drop every two seconds. It is not the hoses or the clamps or the thermostat gasket. Uh, what do you think it's going to cost to fix this? Or better yet, can I fix it myself if I'm a beginner at mechanics? And uh, evidently, he has, he's saying that the, uh, the leak is of an un- unknown origin. Well, it ain't unknown origin, is it, Doug? Nope. It's going to have a head gasket leaking. No, that's not good. Yeah, and he can't do it himself. No. Those those Subaru motors had a bad habit of the head gasket deteriorating on basically on the left side there. It could be a water pumping coming out the weep hole and running back. But I've seen but too you, many of them where everything's been replaced and it's still leaking, and you're going to have to put head gaskets on it most of the time. And the timing belt's got to all come off of it anyway, and you can look at the water pump when you're there. That's correct. You know, but uh, it's and it's going to be fairly expensive, too, to fix. He's not going to be able to make that repair. No. Yeah, he can't do it. He, t- he needs to take it to a bumper-to-bumper certified service center and, let you guys yep. work on it, right? Well, Dave, you got to have the tools to hold the timing chains and all the timing gears and all that stuff. Well, yeah, you know, most complex. of them, the mile, yeah, most of them, the mileage on it says when you pull those heads off, you need to send them off. How the valves ground surfaced and all that, yep. and there's, there's oh, a lot my. to do there to make a make a good repair. So, not yeah, that's like unbolting. That sounds like uh, maybe 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 the 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 years of this car are coming to an end. I mean, we're talking a '95 Subaru here. Uh, you're going to have to grind the heads and all the rest. I mean, you're talking about a significant repair job, correct? Yes. Yeah. I, it's 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 got a lot to do with the mileage that's on it. Uh, you know, if it's 150,000 or so, 175,000, it's worth fixing that motor to correct the coolant leak. 
if it's got 250000 on it, it's probably not worth fixing it. You know, you do better off to put a reman in it or pull that one out and completely rebuild it, you know. Which is better, do you think? Uh, is it better to pull an old engine out and rebuild it or just to pull the old engine out, let it go to its, uh, you know, the graveyard and put a completely remanned engine in into it? Well, local rebuilds are tough to warranty. They don't give but 12,000 miles and locally. And you do a, like a reman engine from one of the big places like Jasper or one of the manufacturers, something like that, you end up with a three-year unlimited mile warranty or a hundred thousand mile warranty, and it's nationwide. So, if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, I'd recommend just pull it out and put a reman in. What do you think, Duck? Same thing. Uh, you know, if you're gonna go that far, Joe, you just will go ahead and pull it, put a reman in it, and get you the three-year unlimited mileage. And that, and like you say, that's that's parts and labor for three years. I deal with Jasper. I know you have too. Uh, they're good folks. You don't never have no problem with a warranty issue. If you do have problems, they'll take care of you, and you can move on with your business. That's correct, and that's important. I mean, bottom line. I mean, what what are we talking here? A couple thousand dollars if if uh, you have it rebuilt, or if you buy a remand. I mean, uh, what's the cost of uh, this? engine from jasper if you order one if you order one from jasper and you do it like they want you to do it which means it's going to get belts and hoses buy installation kit with it and put a new radiator in it which they're going to recommend that because you don't want to put a new engine in with a radiator that's partially stopped up and causing an overheating situation that new engine's going to run a little warmer than the old one but if you do it all i'm going to say probably forty-five, five thousand dollars what do you think, yeah, Doug? Okay. That's what I was thinking. Pretty close to that. Somewhere between four and $5,000. All right. So now you want to sit down and figure, am I going to hold on? It's a 95. If I'm, am I going to hold on to this long enough to make it worth $5,000, right? Exactly, well, Dave. I don't think it would be worth $5,000. But could you buy one with a new engine in it for $5,000? And what's the rest of the car? What's the condition of the rest of the car? The transmission, the brakes, the suspension, the tires. And that's what you got to put into account, take into account when you go to make a big purchase like that on something. Am I going to be able to drive the five grand out of it? If you could fix that motor and drive it for, fix that car, fix motor in that car and drive it for three years and not have a payment, you've made money. Yeah, that, and that makes sense. It's kind of, kind of the way I do it, isn't it, guys? <laughs> Yep. Yeah. You can repair and drive, or you can make a payment and drive. Uh-huh. And sometimes yeah. uh, making a payment and driving is pretty stout. It's coming it every now. month. You can, you can repair and drive, and you might go 8, 9, 10, 12 months before you have to do something. Other and than just look, regular maintenance. You're looking at average... Uh, you know, car payments now uh, for a decent automobile of $600, even up to $1,000 a month. And that is, as far as I'm concerned, that's insane. That's bigger than my house, my house payment. Why would I want to do that? Well, I, I don't know why, but I wouldn't. But I can tell you this for a fact, that... 
those car paints, they don't cover any maintenance items on those vehicles either. No warranty covers tires, brakes that are wore out, yada, yada, yada. So you still have maintenance issues with those car paints. Right. So, you know, I don't know what's right for anybody, 20 ways to look at it, but I know the way I look at it. If I can fix it and drive it, that's what I'm going to do. All right. Let's, we've got a next question. Brings up the exact same question that we're talking about. We've got a guy who has says that the dealer has told him he needs to drop an engine into his 2007 Jeep Wrangler Sahara four-door. He says, first thought, I needed new plugs. I was told I need a new head cylinder, number one misfire. The dealer said it would cost $5,000 to replace them all. The uh, body is in great shape. It looks new. Okay, so here comes the interesting part of the question. I love this Jeep. It's got 231,000 miles. Is it crazy to drop in a new engine? My concern is that in the near future, I would need to replace the transmission, brakes, radiator, etc. Don't want to pay current new Jeep prices. Well, neither does most other people. But what do you think about this guy? He's saying that the total, the total price for making this happen is $7,200, according to the dealer. I think you can get a better job somewhere, uh, better cost, probably somewhere else with a, a good technician. But still, 231,000 miles, that's a lot of money to put in a car. What do you Dave, think? Did he say what, what size motor it was? It did not. It said 2007 Jeep Wrangler Sahara four-door. They want $7,200 to put a brand-new uh, engine into it with all the other things that go along with it, which I sure is, like Joe was talking about, the transmission, etc. Well, uh, I, I, I bid it on one of them here the other day for the county. The county has three of them things that they use at the schools. And uh, it had a 3.5 V6 in it, and I'm sure that's what that was got in it. Uh, it was about $6,300 is what I priced it out as. And that's with a Jasper. That's with a new install kit and a new radiator. Because what happens there is, is the radiator busted on it and got it hot. Okay. But those Jeeps are notorious about the seats coming loose in the head. Absolutely. They sure are, you know, and, and, and that's what his problem is, is low compression on that cylinder. But the mileage yep. says it needs engine replacement because if they if, if the heads are rebuilt, they put different seats in there, hardened seats, it's a better fix than the original stuff. But let's just go back to what should you do here? Okay, 20 ways to look at this. I don't know what's right for him, okay? I know what I would do if I love that vehicle, I'd repair it and drive it. But let's just say he doesn't decide to do that. Let's just say he goes down and buys him a new one for $30,000. What's the sales tax on that? About uh, $3,200. There you go. Now, that $3,200, he's not going to see nothing from that. Nope. That's, on, that's over half of what the repair would be on that vehicle if he had it fixed. And you know what the and difference Joe. is, in my opinion? What the difference is, in my opinion, is... When he gives that to the government, you don't know who's getting that money. But if you get paid that to a repair <laughs> shop, a local guy, at least you know that guy earned the money to do it. He earned that money. He worked on it. 
Yeah, you're and, right. And well, Joe, another. Go ahead, go ahead Duck. Dave. No, you go ahead, Duck. Well, you know, and, and I look at it this way: uh, if if I like the Jeep, and the rest of the Jeep looks like it's in pretty good shape, and it sounds like he's took good care of it, you know, it's not been out playing in the mud and stuff. Uh, I, I put a motor in it. I'd spend my, you know, seven thousand dollars or sixty five hundred dollars, whatever it comes to. I would buy me a good uh, a good motor with a good warranty on it, you know, like a Jasper. Or, and there's a couple of other yeah. people out there that have the same warranty. And uh, I would drive it another five years and then, you know, then figure out what I want to do with it. But if he goes to trade it, Joe, you know and I know, they ain't going to give him nothing for it. Not one thing. Minimum trade-in. Yeah, they give him a couple thousand dollars yeah. and that's it. That's it. So he's going to lose his old Jeep that he loves and have a big payment on a new Jeep. Have to go pay sales tax to get his tags. It's all said and done. And then, you know what? Three months later at $700 a month, he's going to think, you know, I could have had that other one fixed for this in the sales tax. (laughs) But now I'm on the hook for another seven years. Yeah, boy. Because he's right, man. I mean, car prices are not going down. They're going up. And, uh, you know, car sales are going down because car prices are going out of, into the stratosphere now. Yep. I mean, that, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure if you want to go buy just a normal car now, you're looking at something between thirty and $35,000. And if you want a really nice pickup truck, you could be talking in the neighborhood of sixty to $70,000. That's insane. I'm just telling you, I, I think that's insane. You know, I, I was talking to a gentleman the other day, and we were talking about that. So the average life expectancy of a, a human being is about 80 years old, right? That's correct. Yeah, so if you, if you went and bought you a $70,000 truck, and you financed it for eight years, which you can do that now, okay? You'll be paying on that truck for one-tenth of your life. Actually, more than that, because you don't get to drive till you're 16. That's right. Think about that. Isn't that amazing? You'd be yeah, paying yeah. A, a truck payment for one-tenth of your life on the same vehicle. Yeah, and some, and now they're even they're getting to a point where they offer uh, you can get financing out to 10 years. That's incredible to me, but 10 years. Okay. All right, a break, guys, and we'll come back and finish it up here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show for Wednesday uh, evening. It's uh, 6 in in the 6 o'clock hour. We thank you for being part of the show. Hang in there. We've got some more questions coming for Joe and Duck here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Final segment for uh, this Wednesday edition of the Car and Truck Doctors. Guys, uh, next week uh, you'll have off because I'll be off on vacation and uh, uh, Robert Steinbach is going to be in. So uh, the next time we're on, will be on the 23rd, just so you'll know. So for everybody who's listening, if you have a question for these guys, send it to Heidi at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R.com. She'll hold on to the questions. She will forward them to me on the 23rd, and we'll ask these guys the questions for them to answer. With that in all in mind, let me get to, uh, to Duck. Duck, you wanted to talk about a, a special engine or something. Well, uh, Joe knows who I'm talking about. This It's uh, one of his customers that he sent me, and he was down in Texas, and it's a high-pressure pump locked up on it and swarmed. 
uh, it's a 6.7 diesel. It's uh, I think it's a 16 or a 17. I don't remember exactly. But so I had my Russell had Tim to tear it apart and put a, what they call a catastrophe kit. It comes with a new pump, injectors, rails, lines, everything takes to do it with. Because when it does it, it fills everything full of metal. But he got the pump off of this one, and the pump's in three pieces. When it locked up, Joe, it it spun the the pump gear, you know, that runs off the camshaft. Yeah. It spun it and broke the pin in it and spun it on there. I had to get a new gear for it. That took almost 10 days from forward to get a new gear for it. So it gets it all back together Friday morning, starts cranking on it. It's got a cam crank correlation code in it. Didn't have before until all this happened. The crank gear don't have a pin in it. Don't have a keyway in it. No. It It is heated and put on there. So I called Russell called Ford yesterday talking to Ford about it. Uh, can I can we order a cam gear for it? Because when it locked up, it spun it. it it's about five teeth off. And they said, wow. uh, "Yeah, you can order a crank gear for it. It'll take about three weeks to get it." Oh my! And then it has it has to be you got to have a dial indicator to put it back up in place. Which I have all that. That ain't no problem. I have all them special tools. Uh, then you got to heat it five hundred degrees. And put it on there and let it normally cool. Oh my God! So, wow. Tim got the front all tore out of it yesterday. Finally figured out what it was. So Russell ordered the parts for it. Uh, hey, they critical order them. They said the possibility that Ford could ship it uh, Friday of this week out. So, <sighs> but there again, that's the problem they have with them things is a high pressure pump. I talked about. Well, I talked to Red. You know Red, who I'm talking about, over at Central yeah. Day. So I talked to him. I said, Red, have you ever had one to spin the, the crank gear on it? He said, nope. He said, I've had them to explode the pump on it and have to put the pump gear on it. I said, well, I got one that's got a cam crank correlation code in it. And that's what it's, you know, it's, uh, and as long as it's got that cam crank correlation code in it, it won't let it build vol- uh, fuel pressure. And yeah. so I've talked to Ford about it. Ford said, I talked to, uh, Bacardi over in North Little Rock, I know one of the diesel mechanics over there pretty good, and I called him. He said, I've never had one to do this. So something to think about on if you own a 674 and you let it go too long and a pump locks up on it. You know, Russell called this gentleman and told him, he said, I don't care, just fix my truck. Wow. Russell, well, I, I want you to know what's going on with it. <laughs> no you know, kidding. Uh, he's All a right, good I- guy, I can tell you that. All right. Oh, he is, he's, he's a good guy. You know, he just said, hey, just go ahead. Whatever's wrong, fix it, because i got to have my truck. Okay, i yep. got one last question for you guys. You ready? Yep, sure. All right. It's a 2010 Chrysler Sebring 2.4L. It's misfiring. Here's the question. I have changed the spark plugs, ignition coils, camshaft sensors, and crankshaft sensor. The vehicle is still misfiring and is running rough. Do you think it's the fuel injectors? Question mark. Well, my first question would be, what's the compression on what cylinder it's missing on? Because it, it, mechanically, the motor got to be sound. It's got to have compression. And if it doesn't, I don't care what you put on it. It ain't going to hit that cylinder, is it, Doug? No. 
And I'm like you, Joe. If it's got a misfire, first thing we're going to do is pull the plug out and check the compression in it. Now, you you're probably start going to find basic. one. Go ahead. I said you just got to start with the basics, don't you? Exactly. You got to start. You can't just start throwing parts at it. You got to start checking until you find what's wrong with it and then put a part on it. We're back to that old thing again, Dave. Test, not guess. That's right. Yeah, he's been guessing because he's replaced a lot of pieces on this. Sure. He's probably been down at the parts store and they're telling him he's got a misfire on that cylinder. It's probably probably a coil or a plug or yada, yada, yada. And they're selling the parts. He's putting them on and it ain't fixing nothing. So, you know, it's uh, it's just a matter of testing it and diagnosing it properly and then making the correct repair. And that thing, what kind of car did you say it was, Dave? Uh, I didn't. Let me go back and look real Sebring. quick. Yeah, it's Chrysler a Chrysler Sebring. Sebring, 2010. Is it a V6 or a four-cylinder, does it say? Four-cylinder, four 2.4. Yeah, I'd lay you out this low compression. All well, right. I'd be looking at that. So that's what I'd have been doing first. Well, that's yep. the final answer for today. Guys, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be on vacation uh, next Wednesday. Robert Steinbach's going to be in. You guys get to take the day off, but I'm going to pay you the same. How's that? That's All right. Fine. All right, that's not bad. Thanks, All right, Have thank you, trip. Duck. Thank to you, Duck. Thank you, uh, Joe, for being part of the Dave Ellswick Show today. A break, and I'll see everybody tomorrow at 6 a.m.